Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Thomas Lecoq is Associate Professor of History at Grandview University. He describes himself as a historian who specializes in the nexus of apocalyptic religion and political violence, medieval to now. He wrote recently in The Bulwark, as has been the case at other times in history when political instability has drawn extremist groups into open street fighting. These groups represent the sharp end of the axe that the far right is driving into American society. On January 6, 2021, their goal was to overturn the results of the recent presidential election. In June of this year, however, their goals have shifted. The recent arrest in Idaho of dozens of members of the extremist group Patriot Front shines a light on the new agenda for militant factions of the far right. We bring in Thomas Lecoq to discuss this on Access Utah. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you. Uh, it sounds like you're cutting out a little bit. No, I'm very sorry. Uh, uh, thank you so very much for having me. Oh, yeah, it's it's good to be with you. Good to, good to have you with us. Um, so I understand you were recently in Utah. Uh, yes, I uh, just got back from a, a family reunion. Uh, we were in Utah and then over in Bear Lake uh, up in Idaho. All right, very good. I want to talk, uh, among other things, about this incident that happened in neighboring Idaho. Uh, so tell me, I'm interested. You, I, I got this line from your uh, your Twitter account. You describe yourself as a historian who specializes in the nexus of apocalyptic religion and political violence, medieval to now. So how did you get from medieval to now? So I, I am professionally a historian of the Crusades. I work on the First Crusade and why people would do something that seems so fundamentally insane as an idea. We're going to march a thousand miles through uh, hostile territory to take Jerusalem. Why do people choose to do this? Uh, and the groups that I focus on are people who have a particular apocalyptic vision for what the First Crusade was meant to be the actual active goal to end the world. And when we think of the end of the world, I think that by and large we picture things like uh, a zombie apocalypse from popular culture or uh, a nuclear apocalypse and the kind of all of the fears of the Cold War. We have these very specific ideas of what it means, and our films and our video games and our books really emphasize this as purely destruction and then the horror that is to come. The from a Christian tradition, of course, is very different than that. It is the end of the world, but leading to the kingdom of heaven. So no crusade historian ever wants to feel like the things they work on are relevant in the present. That's always a bad sign. Um, but in the last couple of years, uh, paying attention to far-right groups, um, Christian nationalist groups especially, and some of the rhetoric coming out of these extremists, the echoes of the things I study in the Crusades became more and more apparent. Religious violence hasn't gone anywhere. Apocalypticism hasn't gone anywhere. Um, the manipulation and use of biblical ideas to push specific militant notions directed against marginalized communities has unfortunately not gone anywhere. And so I started writing pieces about uh, contemporary aspects of this phenomenon, uh, just watching the news and seeing them, and it's led to a essentially second career writing about these kinds of groups, these kinds of movements, these kinds of ideas now. Yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, um Maybe we'll start with uh, QAnon. You wrote a very interesting article in the, in the Bulwark, which I was reading, uh, where you made this parallel. Uh, and this was specifically about uh, last fall, right? Um, 
There was a prophecy, yeah. essentially, that uh, JFK Jr. would appear in Dallas. Didn't happen, but but these QAnon groups did not disperse for a while. They they stayed there, and you 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 definitely saw a parallel from the First Crusade to to these some of these groups. Absolutely. So one of the things about QAnon is that QAnon is essentially a prophetic movement, um, and and one that unfortunately hasn't faded. Uh, a PRI survey that came out uh, in March showed that actually the um, share of Americans who believe in some of the main tenets of QAnon has actually increased since last year. Uh, it's up to, as they say, something around 18% of Americans believe in some of the tenets of QAnon. And QAnon by itself is already a already a medieval-inspired set of beliefs. Uh, the core foundation of QAnon, for people who are lucky enough not to know about it, is the idea that a secret cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiles rules the world, and that an anonymous uh, military intelligence agent who posts on 4chan and 8chan and goes by the name of Q is revealing the plot and organizing patriots to do something about it. And if that sounds completely absurd, good. We want it to sound completely absurd. It is completely absurd. It has no basis in reality. But it essentially has co-opted medieval uh, anti-Semitic blood libel ideas and brought them forward into a modern context. It's taking these ideas um, that get popularized in the 12th and 13th century that Jewish communities perform secret rituals using Christian children, which is completely false. All of the stories are completely false. I, again, not something I want to have to say, but I feel like right now we should once again reiterate, none of this is real. That is, that is the basis of it. And then you filter that through things like the 1980s Satan panic uh, and into the kind of 2010s Pizzagate, and you get the kind of core of QAnon. The thing is, from that core, uh, you have all kinds of splinter groups that go off in further and ever weirder directions. And the particular group, um, which is referred to by Q-Watchers as the Negative 48 group, uh, who follow a guy named Michael Protzman, who gathered in Dallas in the fall, follow even kind of weirder versions of this. The idea that not only is JFK Jr. alive, um, but that perhaps other celebrities uh, who are dead are also secretly alive um, and will come back at some point. And this kind of idea of people returning from the dead uh, in a prophetic vision is uh, unfortunately common in crusade ideas. Uh, there's a number of people who seem to think that Charlemagne is about to come back. Um, there are all kinds of apocalyptic narratives that involve the reappearance of uh, important figures right before the end. And of course, none of this happened. JFK Jr. is still dead. Uh, the group has not completely collapsed, though they've diminished in numbers. For a while, they were following Donald Trump around and going to Trump rallies, uh, where they seem to have had just enough influence to still get in and get good seats. Um, and the group, the group will not disappear, despite the fact that no matter how many times Protzman claims that they're going to show up, obviously JFK Jr. is dead. JFK Sr., is also dead. These are not figures who are going to magically appear, but people keep waiting for it. Mm. And one of the things that's always interesting is that we like to laugh about them, right? And I'm, I'm guilty of this as much as anyone else. Um, but in 1096, there are groups who rally around really bizarre figures. Uh, there's a claim that there is a gathering of people who follow a woman who follows a goose that she claims was inspired by the Holy Ghost. And this is an absurd tale, of course. The problem is that that same group then uh, attacks Jewish communities in the Rhineland. Uh, 
So despite the fact that these beliefs are completely absurd, it doesn't mean that they don't have a real potential for violence. Yeah, I want to have you maybe follow up a little bit on on that. Uh, the, the parallels, like you say, yeah, we could we could laugh, we could uh, we could discount, but the potential for violence is there. Yes, um, and a lot of it is because the overlaps between kind of the core ideologies that we like to focus on and all of the other things that they bring with them. It's really easy to get lost in the weeds of the most bizarre ideas that they believe in. The thing about QAnon is that while everything about QAnon is absurd, there is a very clear apocalyptic vision for QAnon. And this is kind of a surface level one. This isn't one that that's buried very deeply. It's that in the end, the patriots will arrest all of their enemies, this entire secret cabal, which includes effectively the entire democratic uh, leadership, um, so the Hollywood elites, and then a whole variety of kind of anti-Semitic dog whistles, and they will be arrested, tried in Guantanamo, and then they will be hung, which is an aggressively violent narrative, but it's also one effectively taken from the 1978 novel, The Turner Diaries, which is an important white nationalist novel that has inspired uh, numerous hate crimes and acts of terrorism, including potentially the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, that ends with the extermination of all of the enemies uh, of, of kind of the white nationalists in an event called the Day of the Rope, where they are all hung. So all of the parts of QAnon that feel weird and funny and worth laughing about, fine, can be weird and funny and worth laughing about. But this is a movement that does believe in the end that they're going to murder all of their opponents. Uh, so uh, let me go briefly, and we'll probably loop back through the hour to January 6th, then. Uh, taking that line of, of thinking, um, you know, some are trying to explain this away as, uh, you know, just a kind of unruly mob uh, you know, gone wild. Uh, you know, some are t- totally explaining it away by, you know, saying this is nothing more than kind of an unruly, you know, tour group. But um, this idea of, of ideology of violence, I don't know if that's part of the Oath Keepers or the Proud Boys. There was, for example, a gallows outside the, the, the Capitol. How, how, how close did we come to, to violence against particular members of Congress, do you think? Well, so I, I think that you know, the chance of hang Mike Pence are not something that you can discount. It's literally calls from people invading the Capitol who are calling for the murder of the vice president. And if people watched the January 6th hearing yesterday, this was something that was heard and was discussed in the White House and was not so much discounted as voluntarily ignored because people were angry at the vice president. Building gallows outside of, of the Capitol before you break into it is a fairly clear symbol. Going into the Capitol chanting, hang Mike Pence, is a fairly clear symbol. The Oath Keepers are also a group that believes in violence. Um, they, they are not a group, a kind of an innocent group that can be discounted because of their beliefs. They are an anti-government militia. Um, and this is why members are being charged with seditious conspiracy. The Proud Boys are a street-fighting gang. Uh, if, if people have read their 1776 returns plan, they, they termed the first part Storm the Winter Palace after the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917, which does not end peacefully. Um, then that's also why members of the Proud Boys are facing 
charges of seditious conspiracy. Members of the three percenters were also arrested. There is an ideology of violence in all of these groups. And that's even before you get to the people wearing QAnon shirts. It's before you get to the people carrying Confederate flags into the U.S. Capitol. It's before you get to the uh, American first flag uh, that Nick Fuentes, um, one of the leaders of the so-called Groyper movement, um, carried into the Capitol. It's before the, I think there was a Camp Auschwitz sweatshirt I, I seem to remember seeing on someone. These are just your most visible symbols being carried into the Capitol, things people are wearing, things people are openly displaying. You can only imagine what more is actually being said in the crowd. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's take a break. Uh, We'll come back with much more, of course, with uh, Thomas DeCock. He is Associate Professor of History at Grandview University, and uh, he's been writing uh, quite a bit in in, uh, public forums, The Bulwark, other publications about these uh, far-right groups. Um, And uh, as we heard, he got to that through parallels through his uh, studies of uh, First Crusade and other uh, medieval studies. Uh, We'll we'll have much more, including we'll get into this uh, incident in Idaho just uh, earlier this month uh, and and talk about the Patriot Front. More following this. Thanks for listening to Access Utime. Tom Williams, we're talking with Thomas Lecoq, who's Associate Professor of History at Grandview University. Uh, he describes himself as a historian who specializes in the nexus of apocalyptic religion and political violence, medieval to now. And uh, we're talking about uh, far-right uh, groups, extremist groups, um, their influence in America, and uh, possibilities for violence uh, in, in you know now and in the future. So, Thomas Lecoq, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about the, the Patriot Front. Of course, we've all read about this. It happened, I think it was Coeur d'Alene, right? Um um, yeah. So uh, 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 tell me what happened there, and, and then tell me a little bit about the uh, the Patriot Front. Okay. So um, this is actually one of the handful of nice stories we can, we can say. Um, a group of Patriot Front members, 31 resi- uh, Patriot Front members, were approaching the Kirtling Pride Rally in a rented U-Haul uh, when they were pulled over and arrested before they could go and violently disrupt the rally. Um, the group is people from around the country. It included Thomas Rousseau, who founded the group in 2017 after breaking off from Vanguard America. Vanguard America was a uh, neo-Nazi group. Um, you might remember them from images of the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017. They were the ones with slacks and white polo shirts uh, chanting blood and soil. So the group got stopped before they could march through this pride rally Um This is one of a number of attempts that they have made to use effectively flash demonstrations to showcase their size and strength and kind of presence. Um, Patriot Front works very hard to distribute white supremacist propaganda. This is one of their big things. Uh, in 2020, Patriot Front was, a lot, was responsible for about 80% of the total volume of the distribution of white supremacist propaganda in the United States. They marched uh, in downtown Philadelphia uh, on the eve of the 4th of July in 2021, some 150 to 200 members uh, chanting Reclaim America and the election was stolen. They have a distinct outfit 
that they wear. Um, it's, it's slacks, it's blue shirts and hats, and always wearing masks. They're very careful to wear masks. Um, it's one of the lessons learned from Charlottesville is that if your face ends up on film, you will get fired from your job. Uh, they carried this on in December 2021. I remember seeing it on the news. About 100 members marched down the National Mall in Washington, D.C., carrying flags with the Patriot Front symbol, which is a... Um, what we call a fascist. It's a bundle of sticks wrapped around a axe. It's, um, they're carried by the lictors who followed the Roman emperor. It is where fascism comes from. Their symbol is a fascist surrounded by 13 stars on a blue, red, and white background. Uh, they're not particularly subtle about what they're saying. Um, other banners uh, were carried, things like Victory and Death, members carried shields, and then they left in rented U-Hauls. They crashed uh, a March for Life rally in January in Chicago, and then this seemed to be another attempt to do a high-profile kind of attack, but, but attack and march showcasing what they stand for, which is very much white nationalism. Now, they were stopped, they were arrested, they were uh, at least charged with conspiracy to riot. It's really nice that this was actually stopped and advanced. But being stopped in this one instance is just showcasing the broader problem that in this past month there have been a wide range of far-right groups attacking pride events across the country. And this is the new, the new playbook you're saying? Yes, I, I think this is this is part of finding finding a thing that really seems to unite um, a wide range of far right groups is moving to specifically attack LGBTQ uh, communities. There have been a number of other arrests. There has been pushing uh, kind of the mainstreaming of the so-called groomer conspiracy, which is just the tired trafficking of kind of the worst tropes of sexual predation uh, being a characteristic of the LGBTQIA community, which we know is not is not real. It's bringing back kind of satanic panic form kind of things like that. Far-right groups are very excited about this. Um, Proud Boys uh, attacked a drag queen story hour in the California Bay Area. Um, I have seen uh, I have seen videos on TikTok suggesting that people should show up and shoot people at Pride events. There is a lot of this rhetoric that's not just rhetoric in online forums. It's far-right groups physically showing up to attack or intimidate meetings and groups. It's also the filing of something like, uh, I think it's something over 240 bills targeting the LGBTQIA community this year alone, the majority of which are aimed at, at uh, transgender youth. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene claimed that straight people are at risk of extinction and that Pride Month needs to end. The Texas GOP's platform uh, that was adopted by the state party deemed homosexuality as abnormal and vowed to oppose all efforts to validate transgender identity. It is a wide range of assaults, both in physical and legislative and kind of intellectual form against the LGBTQIA community, with the express goal of inciting violence. Hmm. I want to talk about uh, the, this chant of blood and soil and get into what some of these groups believe, which is anti-democratic, right? Uh, blood and, you know, America uh, famously is an idea. That's what we've yeah. believed anyway. We're not blood and soil, but the, these groups are chanting blood and soil. Absolutely. Well, these are fascist groups. I mean, uh, they are a combination of ideologies, but they are at their heart fascist groups. A lot of them are neo-Nazi related. Um, blood and soil, this is, this is very much a neo-Nazi chant. Um, 
And we unfortunately have a, a long history of, of kind of neo-Nazi in this country. George Ro- Lincoln Rockwell and the American Nazi Party of the 60s and 70s, the Aryan Nations in the 80s and 90s, uh, which had bases in Idaho. Um, but we also have our own kind of long, homegrown white supremacist and fascist tradition. Uh, the second Ku Klux Klan is very much part of, of this ideology, of an idea of who gets to be American based on where they're born and what their religion is and what their skin color is. And if you have not read Kelly Baker's The Gospel According to the Klan, it is my favorite book of American history, and I highly recommend it. Um, Father Coughlin on the radio in the 1930s, the original America First movement, which is very quickly co-opted by uh, fascist voices. Charles Lindbergh, who we like to remember for other things, gave a speech on September 11th, 1941 in Des Moines, Iowa that blamed World War II on the Jews. We unfortunately have a long history of these kinds of ideas here as well. And groups like Patriot Front and and unfortunately a wide range of other far-right groups adopt a combination of slogans that push white supremacist ideas along with the idea that in order to save America, you need to destroy democracy in order to reclaim, unquote, reclaim America for a very particular group of people. And what that would look like is, I think anyone's guess, but it would be terrible. Most of these groups, as far as I can tell, have very strong ideas about dismantling the state. Not all of them seem to have a clear idea what they're going to replace it with. Uh, but when you're carrying around you know, literal fascist symbols, they certainly have some idea. Uh, I think the Patriot Front, along with many of the many of these right wing groups, uh, believe in, and we're hearing more about this, the Great Great Replacement Theory. What is this? Yes, uh, the Great Replacement Theory is an incredibly dangerous idea. Um, it is effectively the idea that non-white individuals are being brought into the United States and other Western countries in order to replace white voters to achieve a specific political agenda. It's a conspiracy theory. It's not real. It's a very, it's a very kind of deeply rooted um, white supremacist notion. Their idea is that the influx of immigrants, especially people of color, will lead to the extinction of the white race, and this inspires people to take incredibly violent action as a result, um, the shooter in Buffalo, in his long-form screed, uh, talked about the Great Replacement. The um, El Paso shooter, if I remember correctly, also talked about these ideas. It has been linked to a kind of number of other racially motivated attacks because it, it not only gets used against um, immigrants and people of color, it also gets used against Jews. Um, in the end, almost every single horrific conspiracy theory manages to tie in anti-Semitism at some point along the way. There is uh, this 1973 French dystopian fiction novel by Jean Raspail um, that has been translated as The Camp of the Saints that is an incredibly racist, xenophobic, nativist, anti-immigrant book that is beloved by far-right white nationalist um, groups because it effectively is a fictional novel about what happens if the Great Replacement succeeds. Um, and these kinds of these kinds of texts are easy to pass out and are easy to use to suggest to white nationalist groups that the correct solution is violence. Mm. That you have to you have to murder immigrants, you have to murder people of color, which is already what white nationalism is priming you to do. It's not it's unfortunately not a hard push to convince people that if your belief is fundamentally that people of color are there to replace you, that you should murder them first. That's why these ideas are so dangerous. 
because they are already, even before you get to these specific narratives that suggest that, that they're trying to kill you, you are already building a worldview where you fundamentally are ready to commit violence. And this is why I think we should be paying attention to these groups as clearly as possible. So paying attention, uh, what other responses would you, uh, would you recommend? Well, again, as I'm a historian and, and not a legislator, and so responses are, are tricky. I think one of the things is you have to push back on these notions every time that you see them. Right. It's, it's one thing to dismiss them as fringe beliefs that we don't have to be worried about. Well, we actually do have to be worried about them. Um, PRI in August 2021 started looking at kind of the spread of some of the ideas related to the Great Replacement. Like, these are ideas that are spreading. The idea of the United States as a land for white European Christians is a dangerous idea. Right? Even before you get to the next step of what you do about that, believing that America is a promised land, spe- a promised land specifically for white European or European-descended Christians, that is already priming you to believe in some of these notions. You know, when you hear your friends and family talk about ideas like this, it's a good idea to stop and be like, whoa, think about what you're saying. And that's before we start thinking about kind of what you can do on a legal level to be more concerned about groups that actively use hate speech, actively promote hate speech, and are actively incited to violence. I think that, you know, we protect free speech in this country, and that's very important. And it is deliberately difficult in online spaces to tell if people are serious or joking. And this is part of a longstanding white supremacist and neo-Nazi playbook to push far-right ideas through memes, through jokes, to normalize discussions of violence and racism and neo-Nazi ideology through humor so that you can never quite charge people with things, right? Are you actually inciting violence or are you making a bad joke? It's really hard to do something legally about that. Um, passing, you know, passing bills uh, that actually criminalize lynching is a starting point that shouldn't take as long as it does. But, you know, things that, that build a more robust system for looking at groups whose general ideology is violence and, you know, figuring out ways, where is the line of what is actual hate speech? Where is incitement to violence? The fact that Patriot Front was arrested this time before they could attack the Pride rally is actually a really good step. The fact that law enforcement is paying attention to these groups and taking them seriously is a really important first step. But I think one of the things that we need to do is that the government needs to be paying attention to these groups. It needs to be concerned about them. It needs to be keeping an eye out through legal means, but keeping an eye out for these groups whose entire ideology is about organizing violence and dismantling our state. Are these groups growing in numbers? I would say yes. And I hate to say yes, but I would say yes. Um, I think that it, it becomes hard to tell the sheer number of people who are part of them. And after, after the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, a lot of groups are being a little bit more careful. Um, the fact that the organizers of Unite the Right were actually charged and actually had to pay for the damage done, that people are actually arrested, people actually lost their jobs, is really important. Um, it, you know, the United Right rally was designed to bring people off the internet and into mass movements. Great, 
people did it and showed their faces and faced all of the, the kind of predictable uh, consequences for that, and that's a good thing. Um, I think the problem is that groups are getting more savvy, or at least slightly more savvy. Uh, the fact that Patriot Front wears masks now uh, is certainly not about, about COVID. Uh, it's very much about hiding their identity. And I think the fact that you have the mainstreaming of a lot of these ideas means that just following the kind of specific far-right hate groups becomes a lot trickier. If QAnon ideology has spread and more people believe in those ideas, if you are mainstreaming great replacement narratives, if you are mainstreaming other kind of conspiracy theories, um, you know, the, the idea of the big lie that Donald Trump actually won the 2020 election, the more you take these ideas and move them to the mainstream, the harder it is to keep track of who who you need to be paying attention to, because you've made the ideas that allow for sarcastic terrorism to occur, you have made them infinitely more widespread. And the idea of, of kind of lone wolf attacks doesn't really work, because it's not that these are random individuals who choose on their own to believe these things. It's that you have such a widespread movement uh, online, on TV, in you know elected officials, pushing these ideas that you are in wider swath of the population than I think you would at most other periods of history. Hmm. Uh, by the way, what do you, uh, there is, you know, some, you write in your article that there, you know, it's a fair amount known about the uh, Patriot Front, principally because their, their uh, data security is poor. Um, and that one of the, one of the facts we think we know is one in every five applicants to Patriot Front has a military background. That's what we've heard not that specific number, but you know, you see a fair number of uh, people with military background joining these uh, far right wing groups. W- what do you make of that? I think it's very concerning. Um, Oath Keepers, especially, is uh, is one that people have been paying attention to for that because they work very, very hard to recruit um, both present and former law enforcement officials and military veterans as members. Um, I think it's something that, of course, the military should be paying attention to. Uh, that that's kind of one of the things that that really, I think, worries me is that if it is so easy to convince, so easy. Again, the military is very large; these groups are much smaller. But if you have people coming out of uniform and then joining groups whose purpose very much feels to be to overthrow the government that they have sworn to protect, that is incredibly concerning. Um, and you would hope that you would hope that the Pentagon would be concerned about something like this. This is not new, unfortunately. Um, I think I think we're paying attention right now because January 6 is is an event that this is a shocking event in our history, and we should be shocked, and it should not be something that makes us feel comfortable. Um, and so, so I'm glad that we're still paying attention to it. Uh, People should read Kathleen Ballou's Bring the War Home, the White Power Movement and Paramilitary America. It came out uh, in paperback from Harvard University Press in 2019 because it it looks at how white power activists create a social movement um, by building a story about betrayal by the government, a war, it's kind of its weapons, its uniforms, its technologies that um, united a vast number of white supremacist groups and mobilized and carried out acts of violence that kind of hit their peak in the 1995 bombing of uh, the federal building in Oklahoma City. So this is not the first time this has happened. It's just that the Internet makes it 
shockingly easy to spread ideas. And as technology progresses, we are always behind in discovering the ways that technology can be used to spread new ideas. I, I spent a little bit of time yesterday on TikTok. Uh, I'm, I'm old enough that TikTok is not a place I spend much of my time. Um, looking at kind of far-right Christian TikTokers and the ideology that they spread through essentially TikTok memes. And it's amazing how quickly kind of far-right ideas can be spread and popularized and through new media. I mean, I'm, I'm a historian who, who has started working on, on kind of studying these groups, and even I was just blown away because the technologies I am comfortable with and the technologies and sites I know to go look at are already behind the curve of where people are going to spread these kind of ideologies. Let's take another break. Uh, when, we come, uh, when we come back, I want to uh, talk about um, people not a part of these extremist groups, but people who have some, at least adjacent ideas, Christian nationalist ideas, who are running for office. Um, many of them losing, but uh, some of them winning, and uh, maybe a part of a little bit of mainstreaming of some of these uh, ideas, or at least heading toward that, possibly. Uh, we'll have more with Thomas Lecoq, Associate Professor of History at Grand View University, following this. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. We have uh, 10 minutes or so in our conversation with Thomas Lecoq, Associate Professor of History at Grand View University. He describes himself as a historian who specializes in the nexus of apocalyptic religion and political violence, medieval to now. And he's been writing uh, a lot lately about uh, far-right um, extremist uh, groups, Christian nationalist groups, uh, like the Patriot Front, Oath Keepers, uh, uh, and other groups like that, uh, Proud Boys. We've been talking about this. I want to move the discussion, Thomas Cock, to um, not people as part of these groups, but to people perhaps with some at least adjacent ideas running for office. You wrote an article in uh, Salon.com titled Jesus, Guns, and Babies, Religious Violence is Now at the Core of the Republican Party, is, uh, is what the headline says. Uh, tell me a little bit about this. I, I, I will point out that, uh, and you go on a long list of, of candidates, most of whom have lost and lost badly. <laughs> so I guess that's the good news if they carry some of these ideas, but uh, but they're out there. Yes, and thankfully a number of them have lost, and I've been trying to keep track of as many of them as possible, and it looks like Thankfully, there is a rejection of people who are uh, saying the quiet part out loud. The problem is that the people they're losing to believe in some of these things, too, and just have the sense to be a little bit quieter about it. So for me, the, the origin point was um, failed, uh, failed uh, Georgia gubernatorial candidate Candace Taylor and her campaign bus, which literally had Jesus, guns, babies emblazoned on the side. Um, and she makes an interesting case today because she was incredibly overt with all of her beliefs. Uh, she told her followers to pray for good sheriffs and said the corrupt ones would be executed for treason, which uh, kind of the larger comments uh, implied her belief in the extremist constitutional sheriff doctrine, which is the idea that sheriffs are arbiters of what the law actually is in their counties, not enforcers of it, um, which, again, is the kind of idea that concerns should concern all of us deeply. Um, she said at one campaign rally, we're going to do a political rally and we're going to honor Jesus. They're not going to tell us separation of church and state. We are the church. We run this state. She lost. Uh, Lauren Boebert did not lose her primary and said similar things. Um, glad to say, you know, uh, it was just in the news, the idea that I'm tired of the separation of church and state junk, uh, that the church is supposed to direct the government. You know, people who are winning are also saying these same things. 
Um, I mean, Candace Taylor also called Governor Brian Kemp's administration a Luciferian regime and uh, claimed that she was going to release an executive order against satanic elites. So some of these go a little bit further than, than what are normal, but she's just one of a number of candidates. Um, Idaho Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeechan also embraced extremism. She appeared with militia members. She administered oaths to them that are reserved for the state military. She showed up on video to the America First um, PAC meeting saying, God calls us to pick up the sword and fight, and Christ will reign in the state of Idaho. Well, good. She lost by 20 points. She was still the lieutenant governor. One of the Republican candidates for Secretary of State in California said that she decided to run for office because she was a prophetic dreamer, and her youngest son, Asir, had seen Jesus in the closet holding a scroll and telling her to run. Um, we have a number of people like this. I mean, perhaps the one that I was most concerned about how overt he was was Mark Burns in South Carolina, whose platform included things uh, like our right to bear arms is inherent, given to us to uh, given to us by God Almighty, not by any man. Um, you know, marriage is defined as between one man and one woman. Life begins at conception. Critical race theory is communist anti-white racism and a kind of longer list. But he also called for reviving the House Un-American Activities Committee, HUAC, literal McCarthyism, to investigate LGBTQIA indoctrination, as he said, which he called a national security threat, saying that anyone engaged in it or in gun control should be tried for treason and executed, which is literally calling for the revival of the Lavender Scare, where HUAC went after LGBTQIA Americans uh, at the same time that they were going after theoretical communists. You tie this back into things like the Patriot Front attempted attack on the Carlton Pride Rally and other far-right attacks on Pride events. This is, this is part of that fear. It's very overt. It's very, very clear. Oh, by the way, um, I think some of the right would say, uh, okay, all well and good. There are right-adjacent uh, groups that preach violence, but it, it's, but it, they're on the left as well. Um, you know, uh, Antifa has pointed to uh, Black Lives Matter, the riots. Um, uh, and they, they, they want to, uh, to say an equivalence. I wonder if there's anything you want to say about that. I remember hearing the equivalence uh, coming out of President Trump in Charlottesville, too, the idea that these groups are all the same. Um, I think it would take more time than we have to, to kind of put that entire fear to rest. The idea for me is that we keep seeing far-right groups uh, engaging in mass shootings. We saw far-right groups literally storm the U.S. Capitol chanting for the murder of the vice president. We see far-right groups promoting people into office to pass legislation to actively take away human rights. And on the other hand, you have people who show up to try to push back against these groups. You have people marching in the streets calling for the police to stop murdering unarmed people of color. I don't know how to explain to people who don't already see that these are not the same things, that these are not the same things more clearly than that. One group marches actively calling for the death of people of color. The other group marches calling for the police to stop murdering people of color. These are not the same. Um, I want to talk about, uh, you know, about the former President uh, Trump, who, you know, famously, I think, you know, you could say a calculated uh, political strategy, uh, refused to repudiate some of these right wing uh, groups. Uh, and, and some of these groups uh, took that as a sign that, uh, hey, he's with us, we're with him. Um, QAnon, for example, 
Mr. Trump's uh, statement about them was he understands that they view him favorably, so he's not going to repudiate uh, QAnon. I wonder if this has had an effect of uh, legitimizing some of these uh, ideas. Uh, I think absolutely. Um, to be to be as fair as I can be to former President Trump, I genuinely believe that he has no idea who QAnon, what QAnon is. Um, I, I does not seem like the kind of thing that he would pay attention to on any deep level. But I also think that's completely immaterial. Right? When you refuse to repudiate far right groups, far right groups hear what they want to hear. QAnon has built an entire cult around the idea that Donald Trump is their mythical savior. Um, and that, that forms a problem. His refusal to repudiate them is taken as a sign that he knows the quote-unquote QAnon uses uh, a number of the random things that... Do- that uh, you're cutting out a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I, I apologize. Oh, okay. um, one of the things that's, that's interesting is that QAnon simply uses said, uh, taken out of context as part of their secret code. The idea of the storm, the kind of mythical apocalypse uh, at the end of QAnon where all of their opponents are murdered, was taken from just a random thing that Trump said while meeting with generals about something about the storm is coming. So his lack of repudiation is seen as him being part of the plan, but even if he did repudiate them, I don't think it would stop uh, any of these groups. The fact that people... Uh, again, testimony yesterday, Rudy Giuliani, especially Mark Meadows, others knew about some of the plan for January 5th and 6th. Um, the fact that, you know, the Proud Boys and other groups were organizing is not a great sign. Um, the fact that President Trump refuses to repudiate any of his supporters, no matter who they are and what they believe in, is not a good sign for convincing these groups to stand down. I think even more problematically, it's not simply the former president. There are active members of Congress who associate with these groups, who show up to their rallies, who speak favorably of them, mostly in the House of Representatives. But that is something that we should be concerned about. The number of people uh, of elected representatives who are willing to speak at the America First PAC meeting uh, in February and groups of people who called for the hanging of public officials, especially Dr. Fauci, at that meeting is something we should be concerned about because it's the normalization of violent rhetoric, not just in fringe groups, but in meetings where elected members of Congress are willing to go. Mm. By the way... Um, speaking of QAnon and, and uh, you know, connection to, uh, or at least their view of uh, Mr. Trump, it appears, you, uh, I'm reading an article you've, uh, you've written, that uh, some of the folks in QAnon are moving past Mr. Trump. Yes, uh, I think we, we like the idea that they will stay focused on a particular figure and that that will be the end-all, be-all. But um, former President Trump makes a useful figurehead. And... The problem with that is that we would love to have them stay focused on just Donald Trump uh, in hopes that if he is not reelected, they will dissipate. Unfortunately, things are never that simple. Um, the ideology behind QAnon has moved, has moved past the need for a single figure. He remains an important totemic figure, but they can carry on to other ideas. Without him, they can find new people who will happily take up the Trumpian mantle, who will be part of the plan, who may be the new leader of the plan. And I think this is something that we should be concerned about, that QAnon is constantly evolving. Um, 
and we can hope that the numbers may diminish, and people paying attention to Q as a specific figure will eventually diminish. Though, if people didn't know, someone claiming to be Q is back posting new things um, because June 2022 didn't have enough going on. Plenty of people who are involved in kind of QAnon ideas don't necessarily need it to be Donald Trump who's leading them as long as they feel that there's movement towards their inevitable goals, which is reshaping society in the image that they want to be. Um, And I think that there are plenty of other people who are running for the nomination for 2024 who could harness that energy to be the new avatar. And I think that should be concerning to us. We just have a, about a minute and a half left. Uh, I wonder what your biggest takeaway is. What would you like listeners to, to take away from this discussion about far these far-right-wing groups and their ideologies? I think that we need to remember that people do things for myriad reasons, that um, religion is alive and well in America, uh, that religion is alive and well in the modern world, and that it can be used for a multiplicity of purposes. It can be used for the greatest of all possible good, and it can also be used as a tool to harness and spread negative ideologies. We need to pay attention to these groups, despite the fact that they seem weird and fringe and nonsense. That doesn't mean that people don't believe in them. And things that seem like nonsense to us can motivate people to do all kinds of things for good or ill. So it is worth, it's important to pay attention to the beliefs of even fringe movements so that we are not constantly surprised by the actions that these people undertake. Well, we'd uh, reach the end of our time here. Interesting discussion. And, uh, of course, we'll keep an eye on this, uh, in part by reading Thomas LeCocq's uh, articles in the Bulwark and other uh, publications. Thomas LeCocq is Associate Professor of History at Grandview University. And uh, thanks so much for the conversation. Appreciate it. Thank you so very much for having me. Thank you. And we'll go out, as we always do on a Thursday, with uh, Leo T. and Skywatcher. Skywatcher Leo T. here. Look up, look around, get a little lost in space. And they know where they are, but NASA has squids in space. Yep, NASA has sent dozens of baby squid from Hawaii to the International Space Station for research. Now, you know, the squid are highly intelligent and can do trigonometry like nobody's business, you know. Well, maybe, who knows, but uh, actually the baby Hawaiian bobtail squid were raised at the University of Hawaii's Kiwalo Marine Laboratory. They were blasted into space earlier this month on a SpaceX supply mission to the International Space Station. The Honolulu Star Advertiser reports Monday that researcher Jamie Foster is studying how spaceflight affects the squid, that in hopes of bolstering human health during long space missions. And naturally, I had to see if there were some squids way out in space, and well, there is. There's a, there's a new one called the Giant Squid Nebula, a couple of years old, uh, recently discovered. It's in the constellation Cepheus, which is a twinkly constellation that looks kind of like a tall cartoon house. Cepheus resides with many deep sky objects in the northeast sky next to the W of Cassiopeia. You can find some fun pictures and charts on the Skywatcher Facebook pages as well as other resources for this segment. And a little easier to find in the night sky, high in the northeast, large blue-white Vega sparkles. Candle Flame Arcturus is in the southwest, and icy blue Spica is closer to the southwest near the horizon. And let's take the Skywatcher spaceship a little closer to home and take a look at Mars, where JPL relays that the Mars helicopter took off on its eighth flight 
Ingenuity traveled further than scientists hoped on Monday, staying aloft for 77 seconds and landing about 400 feet from its mothership, the Perseverance rover, which is doing a little bit of exploration on its own, performing some simple tricks like turning carbon dioxide into oxygen while it's up there. And speaking of space exploration, it was 45 years ago in June 1965. It was the space age when the Vietnam War was raging, the civil rights movement was in full swing, and peace and love were starting to bloom as the Beatles were recording Rubber Soul. This was the scene as NASA launched Gemini 4 via a Titan II rocket. It was the second piloted Gemini mission. The spacecraft stayed aloft for four days and astronaut Ed White performed the first spacewalk by an American. Astronaut Jim McDivitt took some spectacular photos of Ed White with the blue and white Earth behind him. On Skywatcher Leo T, it's one sky, many cultures. Many eyes in the peacock's tail feathers are associated with vision and wisdom. In Greek mythology, the bird was a symbol of the goddess Hera, who kept it in her temple as a many-eyed guard. Muslims of Java believe the peacock guards the gate to paradise. In Europe, peacock mythology varies depending on the culture and may represent an omen or symbolize the soul. We hope for a good omen for the soul from the peacock. The peacock constellation lies in the southern sky. So keep your many eyes open, look up, look around, and let's get a little lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T. On Utah Public Radio, UPR, with transmitter stations statewide and streaming live.